Hello, welcome to Adapt, episode four. My name is Ryan Christoffel, and this is the one and only show where my co-host, Federico Vitici, is going to exclusively debut his brand new <laughs> ebook. So Federico, how does it feel to be a published author? <laughs> is, that, is that what this show is about now? I'm an author? Well, I, I mean, actually, I'm already a published author. Because a few years ago, I published my ebook about editorial on the iTunes store. So I did not know that. Yes, it's good to be back in the publishing business, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it looks like you had a lot of fun with your challenge this week. Yes. I was looking over your notes and you, you took a creative spin on it. So uh, let's go ahead and dive right in. And uh, I'll remind our listeners what your challenge was for this episode. Uh, I wanted you to use Apple's Pages app, uh, which if anyone's not familiar, it's a popular alternative to Microsoft Word. It's a word processor. Uh, I wanted you to use Pages to create an interactive ebook using the app's um, ebook export functionality. So how did that go for you this time around? So initially I thought... Um you know, in uh, as per Ryan's tradition, that it was going to be a cruel challenge. It ended up being an extremely fun and informative and and productive challenge in that I learned a lot of things about pages that I didn't know before. So uh, first of all, there's going to be a link in the show notes to download the, the ebook that I put together. And the the first, um, I guess, the the first thing that I needed to decide um, before actually doing the challenge was what's the topic gonna be. And I thought about it like, do I want to do I want to write like uh, because Ryan told me it can be just a few pages and it's gonna be fine. Um, so I thought, do I want to do like an iPad ebook or like a Mac Stories ebook? But then I thought, you know, Ryan asked me to do like some kind of interactivity in the book and like have different visual elements. And so I thought, you know, something that can be text, can be images, can be video, can actually be a, a little more fun than just do an ebook like talk about apps or whatever. Frankly, I'm shocked that you did not do a shortcuts ebook. Exactly, exactly. I think everyone was expecting that. No, so. no. So I took a different turn and I decided I want to write something. I want to have like a short multimedia thing where I get to talk about one of my favorite uh, book series ever that I discovered earlier this year, and it feels like it completely changed my life, basically. It's the sci-fi series Red Rising by author Pierce Brown. It's, uh, it's, or, this series is organizing two trilogies, uh, first three books, uh, and the second trilogy uh, starts with Iron Gold, and the next book, Dark Age, is coming out July 30 on the iBook store, on Amazon, everywhere. There's lots of anticipation. Is you know, Pierce Brown is a is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, it's a very popular series that will probably be adapted to TV in the near future. So that's gonna be interesting. And I thought, you know, I want to do a short ebook about sort of like a school essay about what is Red Rising, who is Pierce Brown, what's coming next. And so you will find in the show notes a link to download this ebook. It's it's a short explanation of Red Rising featuring. Um, some text, like introductory text, some spoilers for the feature. There's also photos. There's a chart that explains uh, the, the the concept of the society in the in the Red Rising universe. And there's even a playable uh, video uh, featuring an interview, like a short segment of an interview uh, with Pierce Brown and Laura Hashford. Uh, she's a YouTuber. So 
that was my idea, like to do something fun and unexpected, uh, which was perfect for this challenge. Um, so I, I thought, Ryan, if that's, if that's okay with you, that I would go over some of the highlights of using pages uh, to put together the ebook. So the f- first thing that I did, of course, uh, you needed to set up the book in pages. Uh, and there's a, of course, in pages, you have a few options from the template gallery. And I should say that I did this before the latest uh, version 5, 5.1 uh, that just came out a few days ago on the App Store uh, for the entire iWork suite of apps, actually, not just pages. Uh, but when I did set up the book uh, from the template gallery, um, I could choose between, uh, you know, could choose between books in portrait mode or, lands- or, or books landscape. And I think now there's a new option for novels. I don't think I, I would have chosen the no, novels option anyway. So I chose books um, landscape um, because it just felt like it was uh, ideal for image heavy or like multi-column layouts. Uh, whereas the, the portrait mode said that the content was going to reflow and that it was primarily optimized for text. And I knew that I, wanna, I wanted to have a bunch of media in the book. So I chose landscape. Um, of course, I, I did this on the 12.1 inch iPad Pro. Uh, which is currently running the iPadOS uh, 13 beta. Um, and initially in the template, I had uh, three empty pages and I figured that the first one should have been the cover. So I knew that I wanted to have like a f- the first page, I wanted to have a big title and I wanted to have a shot of like a gallery of all the book covers from the Red Rising series. So I used Google search to download the um, biggest versions of the four current published books uh, from Google search. I saved them to files and I dropped them into pages essentially using drag, drag and drop, super easy. Um, I use the, uh, the guides uh, t- tool in pages to align those images uh, and to make them all the same dimensions. Again, super intuitive to do with touch. You just press and hold and resize and you have these guides that pop up on screen, sort of like uh, sort of like an image editor. Um, and maybe all of this sounds obvious to you because you use pages a lot, but I never use pages. I, love, I always write in Markdown in a plain text editor. So I was new uh, to this v- visual environment. And I have to say the guides and pages are one of my absolute favorite features. Uh, it's one of those things that when I have to use Microsoft Word, which I occasionally have to do, and I'm not a fan of it, uh, I completely miss out on just the how intuitive it is to use pages or, you know, another app that has a similar feature is Pixelmator yes. uh, on iOS, where you, as you resize things, as you move around different images, you get these little guides that show you exactly what you need to do to line up uh, you know, a row of images perfectly or to make sure that they're the same size. And it's one of those small features that once you kind of get spoiled by it, it's really hard to go back to an app that doesn't have it. Yeah, and, and it kind of makes me wish that I, that I did more like uh, of this type of publishing. Like it, it, it was, this was basically my conclusion. I'm going to talk about it in a few minutes, but it was super fun to have this visual, you know, multi-touch environment to, instead of just plain text and markdown syntax. It was a very nice change of pace. Um, it was useful for me to to uh, out, sort of um, have like a, like a draft of the layout before I was actually putting in the real assets. And I used shapes a lot 
So before dragging in the images for the covers or the photo of Pierce Brown, his profile picture, um, I used um, blue shapes, like basic blue shapes to use as like placeholders for images. And it was useful to have these boxes that, would, that allowed me to lay out the book beforehand instead of having to drag in the real assets and having to resize them and change them. I used these basic boxes to say, okay, an image is going to be here and a block of text is going to be here and sort of let me make sure that all of the sizes and dimensions are okay and that the alignment is correct. I knew very early on that I didn't want to use a default font. I wanted to use San Francisco and specifically I wanted to use San Francisco Display, which is the big font uh, that I, I think Apple recommends uh, for above 18 points, and San Francisco Text, which is the smaller version. Uh, you can go back to my iOS 9 review. Uh, there's a whole section about San Francisco and you know the typography uh, on Apple devices, on Apple platforms. Um, of course, uh, iOS 13 is going to enable uh, font installation from the App Store. And apps will also be able to offer their custom fonts via a native API to the system. But I, you know, there are no font apps on the App Store yet, and I don't have any iOS 13 app betas with that kind of functionality. So I used any font to install a, my custom fonts and make them available in Pages. Any font is still working fine in iOS 13. It uses a custom certificate that you need to install. And actually, the app got a major upgrade to version 3.0 a few weeks ago. Um, Anyfont now works great uh, on the new iPad Pro, supports uh, split views, light over. Um, it lets you create folders, so you can organize all of your fonts uh, using folders and subfolders. Supports drag and drop, so you, I was able to drag in a, um, my fonts from the Files app, uh, and I dropped them into Anyfont, and that was it. Like, no more opening, no more share sheet and all of that. Um, the developer is promising future support for, uh, like, better integration with the Files app. Uh, I don't know what that means. Probably it's going to use the document browser. I'm not sure. Uh, and there will be iCloud Sync in the future. So I'm really keen to see how uh, all of this will play out in terms of, like, will Anyfont keep using the certificate installation method or... Will it be able to use the new iOS 13 APIs? I don't know. Do you know, Federico, if apps are going to be allowed to use the certificate method after iOS 13 launches? I think so. Okay. I think so, because a lot of organizations use the uh, profiles, and profiles and like the MDM method uh, to you know, sideload fonts. Like if you're a school and you want to make sure that your students are using a specific font, or like if you're a corporation and you need to write reports uh, for your company, and you want to make sure that you have this font installed. Apple is not uh, is not locking down the profile installation uh, process of iOS. There's a new flow of like when you download a profile, it's not automatically installed. You need to go to settings, open a specific view, and confirm. But still allowed, still works. I don't think Apple does. I don't think Apple wants to do anything there. So still working just fine. And actually, the fonts that I installed with any font with a custom profile, are showing up in the new settings general font view of iOS 13. So uh, I installed them with any font, but I can actually preview them in the settings app. So Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they're, they're integrated even though any font is still using the old yes. developer certificate method. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So you can open settings and you can find them there. It's actually very nice. There's like a lorem ipsum preview. There's a full character set. It's really nicely done. Anyway, 
uh, installed the fonts with any font, they showed up in pages, and I was able to use uh, all the different flavors of San Francisco that I wanted to use. Um, all right, so what else? Oh, there was a so you're gonna find uh, there's images, there's a page with like a chart of the Red Rising Society, there's text with hyperlinks that open Safari for like reference material and all of that. But you will also find buttons to pre-order the next uh, Red Rising book on the iBook store, on the, uh, sorry, Apple book store or Amazon. And you will notice that those buttons, they do work, but they're kind of weird in that you need to tap precisely on the button to make sure that the link opens. And it's very nice in that if you tap on the Apple Books button, uh, an, a, po- a model like a pop-up for the bookstore pops up r- right in the middle of the book, allowing you to pre-order Dark Age uh, right within the Books app. Um, that was like a whole thing that I wasted like an entire afternoon trying to understand how to make it work because it's not possible in pages to insert images that contain a link to the web. I just wanted to have an image, so a button uh, that loaded books.apple.com or I think it's still itunes.apple.com, like a link to the Apple bookstore. That is not possible in pages. You can only do images with links using iBooks author, which is only available on the Mac. And I needed to use pages on my iPad. Um, So I came up with a workaround uh, after a lot of Google search to confirm that no, Pages cannot do, even with the latest version, version 5.1, it cannot, it doesn't, just doesn't allow you to insert an image and say, okay, make this image when you tap it, make it a link. That's just not possible. So I came up with a workaround. I realized that I could put an image in there and create a link made of invisible text <laughs> and make that invisible text a link and put it on top of the button. So here's what I did. I have a shortcut, Ryan, that I actually wrote about on Mac Stories a few months ago. It's a shortcut that uses um, a, an invisible Unicode character to let you put some invisible text in your clipboard. Why would you want to have invisible text in your clipboard? Well, if you want to have custom icons on your home screen or folders that don't have a name, you can just paste this invisible character. It's like an invisible Unicode character that I guess it's used for the Braille alphabet or something like that. I'm not sure. Still, it's invisible. And my thought was, I'm going to write, I'm going to have like a text string that is made of a bunch of these invisible characters. And I'm gonna place it on top of the Amazon and Apple Books button in Pages. And that string of text will be a link. And sure enough, it worked. Um, I was able to put together this text that loads a web page. And when you press on the button, it's kind of weird because it's not the exact same size of the button. And sometimes you need to depending on where you tap, it doesn't recognize your tap. 
but most of the time it works and you should be able to tap on the Amazon button and the Apple Books button and it'll take you to the book, uh, either in the Apple Bookstore or in Safari. Um, it, it was a very weird workaround, but it works and I was able to use shortcuts for the challenge, which is always fun. Um, also, actually, the button itself as a story. Um, Amazon doesn't have an official button, so I, I got one from Google Search. Apple does have an official like uh, marketing asset for um, get it on the Apple Bookstore, like a badge. Um, but that badge was in vector, in, like in a in a I think EPS or AI format. And there are a bunch of vector apps on the App Store. Uh, I played around with like a vector converter uh, to make it a PNG, but it was low resolution, didn't really work. Um, and I didn't want to ask my girlfriend to like grab it using Illustrator because that felt like cheating. So what I did, I installed Graphic, which is a which is a graphic editing app for for iPad. It supports vector files, but I still didn't knew didn't know how to like extract a specific like a specific path or like shape. I don't know how you call it in like a vector file. Like I just wanted to get the badge, but I wasn't able to. So I ended up um, making, <laughs> making like in graphic, I made the canvas bigger. I zoomed into the button and I took a screenshot of it. <laughs> and that, That's the solution for everything. <laughs> just take a screenshot of it. I took a screenshot of the button on top of, of a white background and then I dropped it into pages, which had a white background as well. So it looks like it's a PNG, but it's actually a screenshot because I, I, I just don't know how to select and export in graphic. I'm sorry, but that's what I did. It does work though. So um, Yeah, that's quite, it's quite an impressive hack, I have to say. Exactly. See, I mean, uh, you know, I got very creative. Screenshots, invisible characters, um, you know, I feel, I, I, feel like, you know, I feel like you should appreciate what I did. Um, Exporting uh, also required me to pay attention to a couple of options. Uh, I needed to um, choose to embed my fonts in the final export. Otherwise, other people will not be able to see the San Francisco font that I used. I needed to select also, uh, I needed to change the name of the author because for some reason it kept defaulting to John Appleseed. So every time I wanted to export, I needed to put in Federico Vitici as the name of the author. And also I needed to go into advanced and select Apple Books compatibility. Uh, it's very strange to me that when you export to EPUB, that's not selected by default, even though you're using, even though you're using Apple Pages. Um, so I needed to manually select Apple Books. Do you have any questions so far uh, before I get into the slightly more nerdy part of the process? Yeah, I, I did want to ask you, especially because I do see that you are going to get uh, even more nerdy here in a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, just based on some of the basic tools that you were able to use to lay out the ebook, to uh, you know, do fonts, all those different things, uh, do you feel like that the tools Pages currently offers are intuitive? That they're easy to use? Do you feel like this is something that you know an average user with not that much necessarily technical capability could handle? Oh yeah, totally. I think so. Uh -huh. Just being able to to manipulate sections and like columns of text or images with touch is such a huge advantage over 
precisely clicking with the cursor on the Mac. I just prefer the way that it works on iOS. It just feels more intuitive and it just feels like your actions have more of a direct effect on the final product. Um, there are some inconsistencies, not inconsistencies, but just like features that, that the iOS version of Pages doesn't have compared to the Mac version. So there may be instances where you really want to do something because you know that it's possible in Pages, but it's not possible in Pages for iOS. You need to use the Mac version. So hopefully in the future, there will be more feature parity between the two platforms. But I would say that, yes, it's totally intuitive to, to use a, a Pages and to put together a good-looking EPUB. And in fact, again, it makes me wish um, you know, for doing more of this, like in, in my regular job, like it's something, you know, this visual publishing uh, workflow is something that it's really rewarding and fun. Uh, you know, it's something that I wish I did more. Yeah, that's, it's good to hear because, you know, I think one of the appeals of, like you mentioned, doing something like this on the iPad rather than on a Mac where maybe you're using iBooks author and you're clicking around um, is that, the iPad is a great tool for reading. And so you get to design and create this book on the very device that you're going to read the book on. And I think there's something special about that. And, you know, it really speaks to, you know, in another related area, how so many developers long for more developer tools on the iPad. You know, Xcode for iPad is a common feature request. And, and I think your experiment here, creating an ebook, really shows why that's special and why that's unique and why the iPad can be a great tool for those, you know, purposes of creation. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very it's so it's fun and rewarding at the same time that you're doing something with touch and like it's intuitive and it feels like you're playing around but it, you're actually creating stuff. Uh so that that was a highlight of the challenge for sure. Um you will see there's a there's an embedded video. Um I used, uh, I, so basically I reached the point where I knew that I wanted to have some media embeds and I debated, do I want to have an Apple Music playlist or do I want to have a YouTube video? Um, turns out there is no native feature in Pages to say, give me an Apple Music link or give me a YouTube link and I will take care of making it a rich embed for you. Uh, I remember there used to be a feature of iBooks Author. Maybe it still is, at least for YouTube. It's, it's not an option for pages. So I, I had this interview um, that I found on YouTube and I wanted to extract a clip of the interview um, and, and put it as a video inside of the book. So what I did um, was, again, I needed to complete the challenge on my iPad. I have scripts on my Mac Mini to download YouTube videos, but I needed to do this on iOS. So I installed the beta. There's a public beta for this app. There's a link that you will find in the show notes. It's called ISH. I guess it stands for iShell. It's a terminal app that um, it's like an emulator for a Linux shell running on your iPad. And because it's a shell, you can install YouTube DL. YouTube DL is a script that allows you to download YouTube videos and convert them to like MP4 or MKV. Um, it's slow. It's not as fast as running uh, YouTube DL in a native Mac terminal because, again, you are emulating a Linux shell. So all the heavy loads it's, is on the iPad CPU. It's not like actually running at a, at a native machine <laughs> code level. Um, but I still was able to download YouTube, uh, to install YouTube DL in ISH 
uh, and download a, a video from YouTube and make it an MP4 saved in the files app. From there, I took the MP4, imported it in LumaFusion. Of course, it's the premier video editor for iPad. I trimmed it. I added, um, of course, San Francisco fonts for the intro, some basic fade in and fade out. And there I had the video that I wanted to install to, to have in the book. So I just saved it to files and then I picked it. I actually saved it to photos and then I picked it from pages. And there it was. What used to be a YouTube video, thanks to my uh, <laughs> custom script, and LumaFusion was now an embedded video player inside of Pages, which, uh, which is now in the EPUB. You can actually press play and it'll work. So I was very happy with that. Uh, very, very geeky solution to a problem, but it worked. And if, if you had, let's say, gone with embedding a video that you already had in your camera roll, you didn't need to download from YouTube, uh, would this have been a pretty simple process? Yes. I mean, obviously, yes. you, you took it a step further, <laughs> downloading a beta app and running the script and all that, but... It would have been much easier <laughs> because you can, just, you can just pick from files or from photos and that's it. Like, and then it pulls right in. Okay, And then that's it pulls great. right in and it becomes a video. You don't need to do any custom formatting or syntax. It just becomes a video. There's like an option, insert video, and it works. That's it. And I guess that's going to be an even better workflow come iOS 13 and iPadOS when you can actually edit videos from the Photos app. Exactly. And so any editing you need to do for that video before you import it into Pages, you can do right in Photos mm. and then pull it in. That that's, that sounds pretty appealing. Yeah, I guess I, I, I'm not sure if you will be able to add custom fade-in animations from Photos or um, slides of text from photos. I think from photos you can trim and you can make adjustments like to the color or exposure. Not sure it's a full video editor, but then again, Apple has iMovie. So I guess I could have used iMovie, I suppose. I'm just more familiar with LumaFusion. And uh, you know, it was an excuse to use LumaFusion because it's really impressive. But yeah, the, the photos editing tools will, be, will also be convenient. In fact, because when you trim a video, in iOS 13, it doesn't force you to save a new version of the video. It just trims it and saves the edits on top of the original. Oh, that's, that is so good to hear. <laughs> yes, yes. No more duplicate trimmed copies of the same video. Uh, I wanted to quickly mention some of the new features in Pages, if possible, because I really think uh, people should pay attention to this. Um, so the new table of contents was not new in version 5.1, but it's a recent feature that I really like. Uh, there's a table of contents in the top left of pages. Uh, it's a button that allows you to navigate your book by tapping on the titles of different sections. And what's even better is that you can decide w which types of section sections should show up in the table of contents. So you can say, show me just the titles or show me just the headings or show me just the captions. Um, this is an excellent navigation tool for long documents. Of course, my book is like five pages, so it's not like it was extremely uh, necessary, but I love the way that it works. And I love that, you know, I like it so much. I think it should be, it should be the kind of feature that is you know, available for Markdown editors as well. I would love to have this customizable table of contents tool um, in like IA Writer, for example. Um, at the end of the book, Ryan, you will notice an excerpt of Dark Age uh, taken from the Facebook page of Pierce Brown. He shared this preview a few weeks ago. Um, and this 
preview is formatted using the new Apple New York font that Apple released at WWDC. I think it's the same serif font that is used in Apple Books. And you may ask, how did you convert this text from a Facebook screenshot to text? I used Prismogo uh, for OCR uh, using an image saved to the, to the Photos library. I then applied a few fixes myself because the OCR was not perfect. And then I pasted it at the end. And uh, because I had uh, the Apple New York font installed, I selected the option from the font picker and it worked. So I also did OCR for this book. I did it all. Um, And finally, I guess uh, you will notice that some of the titles in in uh, i think on the last page and the page before they have a gradient applied this is a new feature of pages 5.1 you can apply a color based gradient or you can apply an image based filling to the title uh, so uh, i use both options and the last page actually has the title field with the screenshot of the dark age cover you will notice the snake texture inside of the text uh, that is taken from the cover of Dark Age and used as filling for the title. Um, Face detection, also a new feature in Pages that I used for the profile picture of Pierce Brown. When I dropped it into the uh, placeholder shape, Pages automatically centered and zoomed the um, photo to make sure that uh, the the face um, was going to be front and center. Uh, So face detection uh, really nice touch, and it works. Uh, you know, it worked out of the box. Uh, I didn't have to do anything. Uh, it's a re- really convenient to have. Um, and finally, I should mention the um, there's a. It's now possible to insert links that, in addition to going to the web or to an email address, links to specific pages. And there's a new menu for linking to a specific page inside of the same book. I also use this feature to link to the to the final uh, spoilery uh, preview of Dark Age. And yeah, that's about it, I guess. I used a combination of... It was really fun because I used a combination of like multi-touch native pages tools, automation, scripts, custom fonts. Like I did it all and it was, it was incredibly fun to do. Yeah, I am so impressed by your creativity with this challenge. Well, thank you. I mean, the fact that you... I mean, first of all, you took a subject matter that you're particularly passionate about, that you enjoy, uh, this fiction series, and and then used all those different things that you didn't have to do to make the ebook. You know, doing OCR in a screenshot, you know, hacking a link onto an image. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm very impressed. This, I, I feel like there there are a lot of things that you shared that can be helpful to other people in inspiring ideas for. Using pages in new ways and creating ebooks themselves. So, uh, great job! Thank you, thank you. I'm uh, I'm really pleased to hear this. And and again, I recommend that people check out the new features in Pages 5.1. Um, there's a helpful page uh, on Apple.com. We're also gonna have a link in the show notes. Uh, that it's a page from Apple that uh, summarizes all of the changes in Pages 5.1. And like overall, my conclusion would be that I learned a lot from this challenge, and I'm really happy that you brought it up 
because it, um, it it was a creative project that allowed me to flex some muscles that I usually don't exercise when writing for Mac stories, and and it was a, a fun experience to sort of uh, to appreciate the, the the native tools in Pages, but to also like I feel like it was a testament to the iPad's flexibility when it comes to like dealing with multiple apps and using the clipboard and using shortcuts and using files to save assets and drag and drop to move them around. It was really like the perfect um, summary of the iPad experience. So I, I, it was really fun to do. Yeah, and, and like I said earlier, I think it's even more special that after using the iPad for all these different things to create this book, you then can get back and read it on your iPad, Yes, which is neat. Of course. All right, well, let's move on to talk about uh, something that we were supposed to talk about <laughs> last episode, yes. but we didn't quite get around to which is multitasking in iPadOS 13, yes. which is coming out this fall. So you and I have had a few weeks now of using the betas of iPadOS 13. Um, we don't recommend that people install no. them necessarily. There's all kinds of <laughs> don't issues. Do it. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, d- don't do it. But we want to share a little bit about what is coming for you in the fall or maybe later this summer if you decide to hop on the public beta then. Mm-hmm. So multitasking... It received a big upgrade in iPadOS 13, but Apple didn't do what maybe some people expected, which is they didn't overhaul the basic systems that they had in place from iOS 11. Um, The same basic concepts are there, split view, slide over. It's just that everything has kind of been, you know, put on steroids a little bit and and upgraded in meaningful ways. So one thing that Apple didn't do that I know for myself, I was expecting, is that they didn't do a tabbed UI for having multiple instances of a single app. Uh, so a few years back uh, on macOS, Apple added the ability for some of its own first-party apps as well as uh, document-based third-party apps yeah. to have multiple instances of an app in a single window but with multiple tabs, just like you have been able to do in Safari forever. Um, Around the same time, within a year or so of that happening, Apple added a special split view mode to Safari and iOS, where you could take the existing tab infrastructure and, let's say, pick up a tab and move it to the side of the screen using drag and drop and open two tabs side by side on the same in the same view. And so for me, and I think many other people who were kind of seeing what Apple was doing in these other areas and knowing that the rumors were pointing to this year's release bringing uh, multiple instances of the same app, I was convinced that tabs were the way they were going to do that. Yeah. That uh, an app like Notes, an app like Pages, you would be able to open multiple documents in tabs and even, you know, take one of those tabs and you know, using drag and drop, open it on the side of another tab. Um, that seemed like the kind of the cleanest way to do it from the standpoint of you don't have to manage a whole bunch of windows like you do on Mac OS. But Apple didn't do that, did they, Federico? No. Um, they, they are giving us full multi-window support, which I think is surprising. Yeah, yeah. I was also expecting... Um, ahead of the WWDC to, to see the 
the single window with multiple tabs approach um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, Mark Gurman of Bloomberg uh, mentioned tabbed UI multiple times over the past year. And so it sort of became expected that Apple would actually do a tabbed UI like on macOS. And also it felt like the windowing concept was more of a macOS idea of like you have multiple windows on top of a desktop and you can drag these windows around but actually apple went in that direction there's they're they're calling them windows even though i get the sense you know my understanding is that they they are fully aware that they're not windows in the in the sense that they can that they are windows on a desktop computer but for the lack of a better term they're allowing you to have these multiple views that can be of different shapes and forms. Um, they can be in split view, they can be full screen, they can be slide over, and they can be in multiple spaces. And they're essentially, they behave like they behave on a Mac, um, but they're still built around the, um, the, the structure of, uh, of iPad multitasking. So yeah, you have a primary window, you have aux auxiliary windows, uh, you can place them in full screen, you can place them in slide over or split view, and you can create multiple instances of them. In fact, I believe you can create an unlimited number of windows um, and just um, and you can even uh, manage them using expose. Um, I think it's I think it's a really impressive change. It takes it's still taking me a while to get used to this. I'm still and maybe it's also a, pro a byproduct of not having third-party apps with support for multi-window yet, but I still struggle to remember, oh, I can actually use multiple windows on my iPad now. I don't know if you have the same problem. Yeah, I do. It It is definitely a major adjustment in my thinking to remember that I can have all these different windows containing all these different instances of apps. And like you said, in different split views or in slide over or as full screen windows, it it is a big change. and. You know, as I think about the idea of Windows as Apple has implemented them versus, you know, what what potentially could have been with a tabbed UI, it, it seems like with both approaches, there, there are different trade-offs. Uh, I think with Windows, as Apple has done them, there's a lot more power and flexibility built into the system. Uh, one of my questions leading up to WWDC this year was, if Apple did go with you know, tabs for showing multiple views of an app, does that mean that it's only for document-based apps? Yeah. You know, it, it makes sense that you would have multiple notes in tabs, but does it make sense that you would have, um, for example, in mail right now, you can take the compose window and open that as its own window. And that wouldn't necessarily make sense in tabs to have multiple tabs of mail compose windows. Um, or in messages, you can open separate conversation threads as different windows. And I, I don't know about you, but for me, the idea of tabs in messages seems a little odd. It feels like more of a natural fit for a document-based app, but not so much those other apps. But because Apple has gone the route of Windows, developers can really make whatever part of their app UI that they want to into separate windows where a user could take a different UI element and move it off into its own slide over or its own pairing with, you know, an app in split view. And so there's a lot more power and flexibility there. Uh, also, the 
ability to have saved app spaces where two apps are side by side in a split view, I think is a lot more powerful now. Uh, we talked about app spaces a couple episodes ago and how they can be great, but at the same time, the fact that you can only have a single instance of an app in a split view that's saved as a space limited its value because let's say you're working in notes in Safari next to each other in split view, but then you want to open a different note side by side with an app like uh, Slack. Well, that first space that you had of Safari and notes is broken. Whereas now that's not the case. You could have one note side by side with Safari in a certain space, have another space where a different note is next to Slack, another one with notes in Twitter, or wh- whatever you want, you have the power to do that. I think where I'm struggling with the new system, though, is that it's just a lot of mental strain, I think, to try to remember and keep track of all these different windows for all these different apps that I have. I- I'm the kind of person who, with my tabs in Safari, I like to keep them pretty limited. I don't like to have a bunch of tabs open. I, I close them as soon as I don't need them. And so the idea that I have six different notes living in different windows is a little uncomfortable for me, if I'm honest. And I'm hoping that I get used to it more so, but it just feels like a lot to manage. Whereas, you know, the potential alternative, if Apple had gone a different route of, you've got your one notes app, but then there are these multiple tabs that are all, you know, visible at once. That feels a little cleaner, a little simpler to me. Um, I don't know. Do you agree with that? You feel the same way? I, I do agree with that. And I think there's a couple of interesting points that you raised. Um, first of all, I, I think it's nice that you don't have to use multi-window. Like you can still use individual windows for single apps and you can open multiple tabs in Safari instead of opening multiple Safari windows. Um, so I think for people who don't want to use this feature, um, you will totally be able not to open m- multiple windows. And it feels like the iPad will do a better job at not automatically spawning new windows. Unlike, I think the, the Mac is more prone to opening windows for you, whereas it feels to me as if on iPad, it'll be more of a manual sort of user intervention type of deal. I don't think you will have the problem of, oh, this app has now opened three windows on my behalf. I don't think that will happen on iPadOS. I, I'm going to say that one of the, the things that I'm struggling with right now is Apple is sort of suggesting that all that you can drag in iPadOS, you can drop in as a window, but that's not necessarily true yet. Um, there, you find yourself in the situation where in notes, maybe, you can you can drag a folder and make that folder a window, but the same is not true in mail, for example. You can you can pick up a folder or a mailbox in mail, but that that cannot become a window. So you have this inconsistency of some elements do in fact respect the idea of can it be dragged? Yes, therefore it can become a window. But some elements in the UI do not respect that. So it's a, it's a bit of a discovery issue right now as to what supports multi-window in relation to drag and drop and what doesn't. And also, as you mentioned, uh, when you end up with like three notes windows or five Safari windows and a couple of them in slide over, because you can also actually put multiple windows for the same app in slide over, 
which supports multiple apps now. So it's not just that Slideover supports multiple apps, but Slideover supports multiple windows for the same app as well. And, and when you reach that situation of, okay, I have two notes windows in full screen, two in, slide, two in slide over, one of them in split view, what am I supposed to do now? And I guess using Expose will be key to this process. Um, and, and you can activate Expose in a couple of ways. If you want to see Expose for the app that you're currently in, you can just reveal the dock, tap the, the icon for the foreground app, uh, one, just tap it once and load Expose. But if you want to see Expose for another app that is not currently open, you need to uh, bring up the dock and tap and hold on the icon until you see the show all windows option in the context menu. Um, and, and, and I guess that once you familiarize yourself with Expose, it becomes easier to manage these windows. My other problem that I have is that it feels to me as if at this stage, iPadOS does not allow me to, and I'm trying to, to, to make this work for audio for a podcast because I cannot show you with my hands right now, but I would like to have greater free, freedom in terms of transforming windows into different shapes. Like, I want to take a full screen window and put it next to another window in split view, but I want to do so, do so from the app switcher. Like, I would like to have this ability of managing windows and their position or size from the app switcher. Instead, every time I want to destroy a split view or turn a slide over app into a full screen app, I need to do so from the actual app itself with drag and drop. Whereas I would like to do these transformations from the app switcher UI. And this is kind of possible on macOS. Like in macOS, you can show uh, mission control and you can take a, a, an app from mission control, like you can take a window, drag it next to another app in another space and make a split view. And this is not possible on iPadOS yet. Whereas I would like to have this option of from the app switcher, which is sort of like mission control on iPadOS, let me pick up windows and modify their position or size instead of having to open the app and do the you know drag and drop thing myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I've, I absolutely feel the same way. I have wanted to do that. It feels like a natural thing that you should be able to do, but you just can't right now. And so when you do want to take a window and kind of change it into a different form, different shape, uh, it, it's a bit too cumbersome yeah. right now. Um, it, it definitely takes a lot of learning. And, and I think that's honestly true for lots of the upgrades to multitasking in iPadOS. Like you said earlier, you can just not use these things if you prefer, right? You could just never use multi-window. The, the system is not going to push you into doing that. But if you do want to, there's a bit of a learning curve in figuring out all the different ways that the system works. Uh, for example, if you are dragging an app around, um, looking at the different shapes and sizes that it morphs into to indicate kind of what will happen when you drop it, you know, is it the kind of the narrow column that indicates it's going to be a slide over app? Is it, you know, a, a wider square that shows it's going to be in split view? Um, there's a new gesture where if you take an app and drag it to the top of the screen, 
It kind of grows into a big rectangle to show that it will become the new full screen app replacing what's currently on screen. And so there's just a lot going on. And um, and even if you take into consideration the slide over upgrades, like you said, you can put um, multiple apps into slide over now. And it's it's pretty intuitive in that it's basically like having an iPhone yes. floating over your iPad interface, right? You use the same type of gestures that you use on any Face ID equipped iPhone. But taken, you know, if you kind of step back and look at the whole system and the way it works, it is very much a power user system. There, there's a lot of learning to do. There's a lot of, you know, specific gestures to understand. And I think there's definitely a learning curve for it. It's not the most natural or intuitive. I think that once you learn those things, then it can be really powerful. And that's why, even though, like I said, the a tabbed interface would have been simpler and I think would have meshed better with my brain and the way I want things to work, I'm honestly excited about the extra potential that Apple's new systems and new updates will enable because there, there really is a lot more power to be found if you take the time to learn it. Yeah, it feels like it's still still early days for all of this, and and the fact that we don't have a lot of third party apps of which we use a bunch that support multi window, it doesn't help um, our perspective of will will this actually work in practice for us? And and there's a there's a really a ton of like uh, hidden power user features and gestures. Like you can pick up notifications and drop them as slide over or split view apps like notifications can become windows like that's awesome but will will users even know that this is a, a feature that you can now like a gesture that you, you can now do in ipad os so the i mean we are on beta too and it's quite buggy and i suppose that apple still has the time for a few refinements and, and fixes to sort of how are the gestures communicated visually? How does the system allow you to manage these windows? So I hope that by the final release, we'll have a more refined system, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe the only change will be our experience during the summer. So it, it, it is definitely a topic that I want to revisit in September when, when iPadOS is out and when we have a few third-party examples and, and we'll see how it goes. All right, Ryan, uh, do you want to do some, some hashtag AskAdapt Q&A? Yeah, let's do it. So we had a couple of different listeners who wrote in to ask about my organization methods for Apple Notes. Okay. I mentioned a couple episodes ago that I have over 1,200 notes, which I'm very close to 1,300 now, by the way. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But uh, so one listener was asking for examples of like categories that I use for different folders. Uh, and then another person asked about, you know, how often I use the search functionality and then any other kind of organization tricks that I have. And so uh, I do have a lot of folders and subfolders in Notes. One of the changes that I'm so happy about in iOS 13 and iPadOS is that you can create and manage nested folders from the iPhone and iPad now, whereas previously you could create them on the Mac and see them on your iPhone or iPad but you couldn't actually make changes to them. You couldn't, you know, make a folder into a subfolder uh, or reorganize anything that way. You also couldn't previously collapse uh, nested folders so that they're hidden from view. But now all of that's possible on the iPad. And so I'm really excited about that because I have a ton of nested folders. Um, as far as organization goes, 
I have folders for different kind of big areas of life, such as I have a family folder, a personal folder, and then I have one for Mac stories, one for adapt. Um, Some of these have subfolders, others don't. A large portion of my notes, however, are organized into what is kind of a big archives folder that has a ton of subfolders under it. And so my method for uh, archiving things is if it's a note that I don't plan to reference very often at all, um, I'm not making any any changes to it, don't expect to make changes to it in the future, and I don't expect to reference it very often, but I don't want to delete it because I may need it someday. I put that into the big giant archives folder with all of its accompanying subfolders. And um, one nice change in iPadOS is that you can manually reorder the folders in your note uh, folder list. So before they were all always sorted by uh, title. And so I would kind of trick the system by either using emoji at the front of folder names or I would use bullets a lot um, to kind of make it such that the folders I wanted on top were on top. And uh, like my archives folder, I used to have uh, the number five after it because I had four other big categories above it and I wanted it to be at the bottom. So just tricks like that that are no longer necessary in iPadOS because you can manually reorder. Uh, as far as search goes, I-, I use search sometimes, but not that often. Uh, honestly, more so than using the in-app note search, I will search using uh, iOS or iPadOS's native uh, search function, used, used to be called Spotlight. Uh, I'll do that a lot for uh, notes, but otherwise it's just, you know, uh, opening a folder, um, finding my notes manually that way. And then one last way that I access frequently used notes is I have several of them saved as uh, Siri shortcuts which are available in the shortcuts widget. So I have, I think, three or four notes that are saved to shortcuts that I can open with one tap from the shortcuts widget, which is now more convenient than ever now that I have widgets right there on the home screen. So that is how I organize my notes. All right, our next question comes from listener Rody Davis. How long until Xcode on the iPad? Well, um, that that's the the question that's on everyone's minds, right? Like, uh, will Apple ever make a proper development tool on iPadOS? Um, it feels to me like we've reached the point where, if Apple is gonna do it, it's gonna be a Swift UI only developer environment uh, for a couple of reasons. It's a fresh start, uh, you know, not having to deal with anything other than Swift UI means Apple can make a new development tool to write apps and to test apps that doesn't have to support all of the different, uh, different legacy modes of Xcode. But also SwiftUI and the, the, the testing tools and the design tools that Apple showed at WWDC, they would be a perfect complement for the iPad. You, have, you, know, you can write in SwiftUI and you can uh, actually also see your interface on, on a right side panel and you can interact with it sort of like a simulator. So it feels to me, if Apple is ever going to do uh, Xcode for iPad, it'll be Swift only, Swift UI only, uh, no Objective-C, um, none of the, it will not be the Xcode that you know from the Mac. Maybe it won't even be called Xcode. Maybe it'll be called something else. I do believe there should be a way to 
program and design iPad apps or iPhone apps on an iPad on device. It's a, you know, a, a computer. Some people would say that a computer is mature enough when you can write software for the computer for the computer on the computer itself. And it feels like that that's the obvious next step for the iPad as a platform to become a develop a development tool to write your own software on it. Uh, but I have a strong feeling that it'll it'll only support Swift and Swift UI. Our next question comes from listener Brian. He asks, how do you set up your iPad home screens? Uh, do you use folders? Mm. Me personally, I don't use many folders. Uh, I know lots of iPad users who have a folder in the dock, and I don't do that mainly because, at least the last time I tried it, if I were to use a foldered app uh, in, let's say, a split view, I'm, I'm using drag and drop to move it out of the folder into a split view or slide over, uh, you then have to also tap on the screen to dismiss the folder view. Uh, I don't know if Apple's changed that, Federico. D- do you know? Uh, that that just felt like an extra step that was annoying to me in using apps from folders in the dock. So when you are, when you have a folder, so let me try. I have a, the dock here and I'm dragging something out of the folder and the folder is dismissed unless you mean something else. Okay, no, that's great. But honestly, I have not tried it since I think the iOS 11 beta phase. Oh, I think that's been true for a long time. Okay, yeah, yeah. see, I, I need to put a folder in my dock because it was just, I, I, I hated that I would have to then tap somewhere else to dismiss the folder view. So uh, besides that, on the home screen itself, especially since I started using the iPadOS beta where you can now fit more apps on the home screen, um, even with widgets next to them, I I don't have the need for folders there. I do have one folder on my second page, which is kind of my miscellaneous or other folder. It's it's primarily apps that I don't use often, but I like to keep around, uh, whether it's just to keep track of maybe updates that they have or a tool that I use every now and then, but not regularly. So um, for the most part, I don't tend to use folders. Uh, how about you? I have a single folder in my dock for uh, extra apps that I that I want to have quick access to, like one password or I don't know what else is in my uh, Yoink, Dropbox, Blink by our friend John Voorhees. Uh, these these apps that are like utilities, but that I want to access more often than than my other utilities. Um, and then my home screen has no folders. And also on iPadOS, I have widgets pinned to the left side. Um, but yeah, a single folder in the dock. And I organize my home screen by row. So I have the media row, which is like App Store, music, YouTube, podcasts. Then I have the news row, uh, like Reader, Apollo, Twitter. And then I have everything else for work. Uh, but yeah, uh, just a single folder in the dock for other important apps that that are not as important as the the ones in the dock, but that still I want to access quickly. All right, and, and our final question comes from listener Brentak Prime. Brentak asks, do you guys put comments in your shortcuts that you don't plan on sharing? I know I have seen them in shortcuts posted to Mac stories, but I was curious about personal use ones. Uh, yes, I always try to comment my code whether it's a shortcut, a shortcut or a Python script or a JavaScript um, scripting like scriptable uh, for personal reference, because I think it's important to add comments to your code 
uh, for future usage. You may never know what future self may wonder about your past self and the way that you coded a certain script or a certain shortcut. So as much as possible, it's something that I've gotten better at through the years. I was never, I never added comments before, but over the years, and especially with my longer shortcuts, I, I have seen the value of leaving little, you know, brief comments like, hey, you did this because there was a bug that you needed to work around, like, stuff like that. So I always try to add comments, even just for me. And I don't make long enough or complex enough shortcuts to merit adding comments. Uh, the only super complicated shortcuts that I use are ones that you have created <laughs> or maybe someone else has created, and I might modify them for my own uses, but I don't typically add comments. Not, not mm. a need for me. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, Ryan, it is time for the next challenge, and I am going to challenge you for the next episode. Um, so I want you to use the next couple of weeks to do some research. Because my challenge for you is to find at least two apps, not one, two apps on your iPad to perform OCR on large PDF documents. So not, not like a single page or like five pages or 10 pages or even more. And be able to search the contents of those PDFs after you've applied OCR. Okay. Uh these these apps do exist, right? Yes, they do exist. Whether it's like it's like OCR specific apps or like more like broader use research apps, I think you will find a variety of options. Uh, just you know, uh, some of them they use native Apple APIs to index the contents of a PDF document. Uh, there's a few options, uh, and and. Yeah, I, I'm I'm keen to see the kind of research that you do on the App Store about different options for different types of OCR. Some of them are like local on device, other are others are like cloud-based. So um this is a discussion that I want to have. OCR and PDFs on your iPad. How can you how can you solve this problem? Okay. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know, OCR stands for optical character recognition, where Basically, it's your device recognizing the characters, the words that are embedded into a PDF and can kind of extract them and make them usable in, in some other way. So I will, uh, I will definitely give that a shot. All right. Well, I think that that about does it for episode four of Adapt. If you want to find the show notes for our episode, which include a link to Federico's ebook that he created in Pages, uh, you'll find them in the podcast app you're listening to. Or you can go to our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash four. If you want to follow us online, Federico is on Twitter and Instagram as at Vitici. Uh, that's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. -I -I. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Iryan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N-T-L-D-R. Uh, also, if you have a question you want to ask us about our use of the iPad or some other way that you can use the device yourself, send a tweet with the hashtag AskAdapt and we may be able to answer that in a future episode. Mm -hmm. So, uh, until next time, Federico, let's say our farewells. Arrivederci. Goodbye.